The world is dying. The war is lost. We have failed. Vampire the Masquerade provides little insight into the lupines for a good reason. The werewolves are infamous for rarely, if ever, tolerating the presence of one of Cain's descent. What we do learn is that the war between vampires and werewolves has lasted for longer than any can remember, that the werewolves are strong enough to bring down, or at least severely wound, even the mightiest of Methuselah, and that they seek to tear down civilization to bring the world back to a time where wilderness rules. Of course, truth is never quite as simple, even if much of what the kindred believe of the Garou is true. In folklore, there are many ways a person can become a werewolf, such as curses, black magic, or even divine punishment. None of these, however, are applicable to the Garou, who are in fact born werewolves. Werewolves can err from both humans and wolves, and a werewolf is born identical in most aspects to the breed of their birthing parent. Homids and Lupus do not distinguish themselves notably while growing up, except that they may be prone to bursts of intense emotions, and have powerful, vivid dreams. Any human or wolves with werewolf blood in their veins are called kinfolk, and while they are different from those without this shared blood, they do not necessarily become Garou. Mating between werewolves has always been strictly forbidden, for it creates the Metis, Garou born either with physical or mental disabilities, and considered paria amongst their kind. They are in fact born in the Wolfman, or Krinos form, for a period lasting between a year to the onset of puberty, meaning they must remain hidden from the outside world until they can disguise themselves as human or wolves. A kinfolk destined to become a werewolf usually changes sometime around puberty. The first change is often sudden and violent, a response to some sort of trauma or threat, and the hulking beast they become rends and tears in rage all around them that they perceive as even the slightest bit wrong. It is not uncommon for a cub who undergoes the first change to violently kill their own family, their friends, or other innocent bystanders in the rage that overcomes them. Thankfully, a werewolf's crinosform induces a state of catatonic fear in most mortals who sees it, and their memory will subconsciously wipe itself clean of the horrific sight they beheld. This is called delirium, and is rooted in generations of werewolves preying on humans to the point where we on an instinctual level fear and avoid these primal terrors. Particularly willful humans, and many supernatural creatures, however, can resist the delirium, sometimes even ignoring its effects entirely. By now, you may have realized that much of what myth and TV has taught us about the Garou is wrong. They are not cursed, nor are they infected with a disease or punished by God. They may technically be possessed by spirits, but are in fact highly resistant to it, and they are not mindless beasts, although they tend towards violence more often than humans would. Indeed, most of what you have learned about werewolves is not true, save perhaps for their allergy to silver. This substance is deadly to werewolves both on a physical and spiritual level, as the metal of the moon causes them damage simply by touching it, and carrying a weapon made from it causes them spiritual damage over time. A newly turned werewolf must be taught the ways of their people, their history and purpose, as well as the skills required of them. This is of utmost importance, because without an understanding of her foe, a Garou is at an insurmountable disadvantage. They are, in many ways, the last line of defense against the destruction of the world, and they cannot afford to waste more time or lives. The Garou are one of the Fera, the changing breeds created by Gaia, the spirit incarnate of our world, to serve and protect her in many different capacities. The Garou were made to be her warriors and guardians against any who would disrupt the delicate balance of existence. 
This balance had been maintained by three primal forces called the triads. They are the willed, chaos, the weaver, order, and the wyrm, destruction. But the weaver tired of seeing its creations destroyed by the wyrm, and thus it made a prison for the destroyer to contain it and prevent it from ruining what the weaver built. Once captured, the wyrm began to slowly grow insane, going to greater and greater lengths to see creation destroyed. For most Garou, the wyrm is the prime enemy. It is devoted entirely to the destruction of Gaia. Its spirits, called Banes, can corrupt places and objects over time, but also possess and control humans and sometimes other living creatures, turning them slowly into disgusting amalgams of spirit and flesh called Fomori. A Fomori is beyond rescue, as their soul has become so tainted by the worm that all that remains is a shadow of a mockery of their original self. They are wholeheartedly devoted to fulfilling the desires of their masters. Having learned this, the young Garou is then also taught about their nature as creatures of duality. They are both human and wolf, creatures of the wild as well as cities, and of the flesh as well as the spirit. The Garou can travel into a realm called the Umbra where spirits actually dwell. The Umbra is a realm where the normal laws of nature barely apply and, sufficiently deep into it, don't at all. In the Penumbra, the realm closest to ours, our world is mirrored, creating shades of itself and spirits who wish to influence our reality can gather. In the Deep Umbra, reality holds no place, as it is a realm of concepts, ideas and potential. This is where the Wyrm, the Weaver and the Wild reside, and few werewolves, if any, have survived traveling far enough to see these ancient forces with their own eyes. Through the Umbra, werewolves can travel long distances in what seems only mere moments. By opening a moonbridge, a connection is formed between two cairns, holy sites of power for Garou, and a pack may travel between them in relative safety, although that is not always guaranteed when in the realms of the spirits. Garou also often go on deep spiritual journeys to commune with ancestors, guardian totems and the like, who may offer sage advice or even mythical powers called gifts. A Garou who cuts off their connection to the Umbra and spirit world in favor of the material would be as limited as someone who cut off their left arm simply because they were right-handed. Werewolves are split into several tribes, each with their own traditions, outlook on life and, indeed, gifts. While some traits, both physical and mental, breed true more often in these tribes, others don't, and anyone can technically be adopted into a tribe despite their lineage, although some particularly proud groups like the Silver Fangs and Shadow Lords may deny someone entry if they cannot trace their pedigree far enough. Some tribes have other peculiarities in who they choose to welcome into their folds. The Red Talons refuse to mate with humans, and any Homid Garou who seek entry is, at best, denied, at worst punished for the attempt. The Black Furies, meanwhile, are strictly all-female, except for male Métis and kinfolk, and give away those males born to them to other tribes to care for. Contrarywise, tribes like the Children of Gaia, or Bone Nars, have little to no prerequisites for someone to become a member of their group, and are thus often quite numerous especially since these two also are much more open to accepting Métis as members. Werewolves, much like younger kindred, tend to work in groups. While a coterie might be forged out of necessity, a pack of Garou is something much more spiritual. Each Garou is born under a phase of the moon, and that phase becomes their auspice. It is a role they are born to fill. While we will discuss them further in another episode, these auspices, together with breed and tribe, are crucial parts in a Garou's identity and help shape both their personalities as well as their gifts. 
One of the Wyrm's strongest agents is Pentex, a multinational holding corporation that has sunk its tendrils into countless industries. Toys, weapons, entertainment, crude oil, anything and everything that could represent modern, ruthless capitalism has its own Pentex subsidiary. Many more experienced Garou understand that the true source of the world's destruction is the Weaver, who by trapping the Wyrm causes its corruption. The Weaver is expressed most strongly in civilization and technology, and some tribes of the Garou, in particular the Red Talons, loathe humanity and what they have wrought with a passion. Others, like the Glasswalkers, see the Weaver's creations as means to an end, arguing that technological advancement can serve them equally well as their foes in a fight. Ultimately, this game is called the Apocalypse for a reason. The world is dying, and the balance of nature is horribly out of order. The Garou could perhaps have done something about it just a few generations ago, but in their pride and foolishness, they were too busy policing each other and the other changing breeds to notice the threat creeping up on them until it was too late. How do you fight a fracking business when it promises new jobs for hundreds in your dying community? How do you protect the rainforest when the soil is needed for the local economy to function? How do you fight a corporation that is faceless, richer than you could possibly imagine, and whose sole desire is to see you fail and all that you hold dear burnt to ashes? And while we are far from done with Werewolf, we will return to Vampire in my next episode as we explore the Sabbat and its intricacies. But until then, I would like to thank the Ancillae, Edward Reed and Colin Gifford, as well as my loyal neonates for their continued support. And thank you for listening. Will you stand idly by as the apocalypse sets the world on fire, or will you die a hero's death? The time for action is now.